0: I want to talk to you today about something that I get really angry about. It's this interruption that the devil throws into our joy. It's the spiritual monkey wrench he throws at us, and it keeps us from enjoying everything it means to be a child of God. And it's called condemnation. And condemnation is basically the question, how does God feel about me after I fail? How does God feel about me after I sin? Conviction, on the other hand, is a good thing. Conviction is the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart saying, look, you know you did wrong. Get back up, say you're sorry, and let's move forward. That's a positive thing. There's no shame attached. There's no beating down attached to it. There's no question of how does God feel about me. That's not brought up with conviction. That's something the Holy Spirit does. But condemnation is when either our own hearts or the enemy just comes in and says, we can't get close to him right now oh, that's not possible. I, I messed up in the same area again. I don't know how God feels about me. Uh, I remember a, a few months ago, uh, and ever since this conversation I'm about to reference, I've wanted to do a, a teaching like this, and the Lord opened the door uh, for this particular Sunday. I got done teaching at the one o'clock, and uh, you know, several people came up just to chat and ask questions, and there was a young lady in the line who, again, just poured out tearfully, you know, I, I feel like I, I've gone too far. And God can't take me back. How do I know that I'm not lost? How do I know that I haven't committed the unpardonable sin or I've, I've, I've reached the cap on God's forgiveness and now I've spent it all and I, I can't return to Him? And she was just speaking out of this place of intense shame and condemnation. God is condemning me. God has passed a guilty verdict over me eternally and now I, I can't come to Him. That's what it means to feel condemned. And I, I want to talk today about how to defeat that. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is something that we've got to learn to rise above. If you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ, I believe that God's going to give us the spirit of revelation today to receive truth that's going to set us free. Maybe there's some among us today who you are a Christian, but you're away from the Lord right now. You're backslidden. And I'm praying that God's going to speak to you and you're going to find that he's not out to beat you down. He just wants you to come home. And that if you come back to him, you're not going to be beaten up. You're going to be received. You're going to be embraced. You're going to be cleaned up and restored. And maybe there's people here who are not even believers. You're not Christians. You're just here because you're checking things out and you're looking for answers. I'm hoping the joy that you hear coming out of the house today is just going to show you this is what you've been looking for. This promise of real peace with God, the the loss of guilt and shame and, and fear of the future. Only Jesus can give you that. So I want you to go with me to 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to pray very quickly, and then we're going to get started. 1 John chapter 3, and while we're turning there, I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would indeed give us your revelation, God. Lord, we can't discern truth on our own. We need you to do that. No one is smart or educated or or clever enough to figure their way out into salvation. Uh, God, you have to take us there. Lord, I'm praying that you would help us to understand that you have defeated the power of sin in an eternal way, and that we can be secure in our relationship with God. Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us the balance, oh God, between taking responsibility for the sins we still struggle with, but not letting them rule the way that you feel about us. Oh God, teach us how to walk that tight rope and Lord, let us do it well. We love you. And we thank you for loving us first. We thank you for loving us when we were sinners. God, we pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. First John chapter three, how to defeat condemnation. Just the first three verses. He writes, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And I love this passage because these three little verses carry such balance for us. And, and, and as far as understanding, how does God look at our sin? What do we do with the fact that we still struggle sometimes? We still feel the pull of temptation. We're children of God. We're born again. We've, we've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us and empowering us. But I still mess up sometimes. Sometimes. What do I do with that? Do I lose my salvation every time I, I cross a line? Do I have to get born again again? You know, How much do I have to say I'm sorry and repent before God takes me seriously? These are real questions that I've heard a lot of Christians ask. These are real questions that I have asked. I've gone to bed at night afraid, wondering what would happen if I died that night because I wasn't sure, You know, can God forgive me this time? Have I crossed the line? This is a very real fear. And I'm believing God to give us strength to rise above that this afternoon. And our first critical point is going to come up on the screen. It's simply this, salvation must be understood through the now not yet principle. That's, an actu- that's actually a term that scholars use very commonly in studying the New Testament. Salvation has to be understood through the now not yet principle. What they're driving at is the fact that there's parts of our salvation we get to enjoy right now at this present moment on this earth. But then there are parts of our salvation that we're not yet experiencing. We're not yet enjoying. Such as I'm forgiven right now. You know, I'm enjoying the forgiveness of God in this present moment. I know I'm forgiven of my sin. But the ability to be completely free from all temptation and and lose all my wrong desires. I'm not there yet. That's something coming in eternity. And that's something that John brings out in the passage that we just read. He says we're God's children right now. But it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be. There's stuff we've got in this very moment when it comes to salvation. But there are parts of our salvation that we're not going to experience on this side of eternity. They come later. You still have to deal with sickness and and things like that as an effective sin. The reason why our bodies get sick and die is not because that's natural. It's because of sin. Death is the most unnatural thing that humans experience across the globe. And we still have to deal with that effect of sin until Jesus returns, we're resurrected, we're given brand new bodies that we'll never get tired again, never get sick again, never waste away again. So there are things we have now and there are things we don't have yet. And it's very important we learn to view our salvation in this way. So again, if you'll look again at the screen, we have to understand it through the now not yet principle. First of all, we're God's children now, but we are not yet enjoying everything that means so that's our first critical point we're God's children now so you're not waiting for a future time you don't have to wait to be accepted by him till you get your act together and you stop messing up you stop sinning no in this very moment you are an adopted son you're an adopted daughter of the king you're just not experiencing everything that means yet and that's okay it says it right here in scripture now I want to give you an illustration just to help you understand this principle, because sometimes God writes theology into nature, and it's an amazing thing. I want to give you a little astronomy lesson. Now, I'm going to have them put a a visual up on the screen. You can't laugh. I made it myself. It's really cheesy. And I'm not a graphic designer or anything like that. I got all these images from the magical lands of Creative Commons, for those of you that know what that means. But anyway, give you a little astronomy lesson. Astronomers have this cool little principle called the time machine effect. And the reason they call it that is because the distance of the stars and the amount of time it takes for their light to reach the Earth takes a long period of time. They're so far away. Like when you go out in the night sky, not in New York, because you can't see the stars in New York at night. Um, But anyway, you go out at night into a place where stars are visible. If you look up and let's say you pick a random star in the sky, we've got one up on the screen there. You standing on earth, if you pick a star that happens to be eight light years away, you don't see that star as it is. You actually see it as it was eight years ago, because it takes eight years. Somebody's mind was blown. Isn't that awesome? You know? You, it, that, they call it the time machine effect because you're not seeing it as it is. You're seeing it as it was eight years ago because it takes eight years for the light of that star to travel to earth and become visible to your eye and to mine. Did you know the light of the sun actually ages? It takes eight minutes for the light of the sun to reach the earth and become visible to you. We don't see the sun as it is. We see the sun as it was eight minutes ago and we're just catching up throughout the day. Same thing with all the stars out there in the galaxy. Let me read you a real quick excerpt from an article published by the American Astronomy Society. It says, light from the sun takes eight minutes to reach us so that we see the sun as it was eight minutes ago. Similarly, we see the stars in the nighttime sky as they were decades, centuries, and even thousands of years ago. It takes time for the light to reach us and become visible. This is where it gets cool. Let's say that star that we picked out in the sky were to burn out. If we can go to the next slide, please. That star burns out. Remember, it takes time for the light to travel and get to Earth. That means you're not going to know that star is gone for another eight years. Now, this is what's really wild. It's like, which one is real? Because the light is really there. It's not an illusion. It's real starlight, still in existence, still traveling to Earth, and becoming visible to us. But the star is really, really gone. It's really not there, but I really see the light. Which one do I believe? (laughs) And so astronomers, when they're doing their stuff, they're looking up in the night sky with their telescopes, and they're, they're studying. They have to engage in two realities at the same time. They have to engage in a now And a not yet. They engage in what they can see presently with the naked eye, but they also have to think about what they can't see yet because the light's still moving. And John in his gospel, or rather in his letter here that we just read is showing us that, look, your life is like starlight. You know, there's a, there's a now not yet principle that you have to live by. If we could go to the next part of the, the graphic there, this is what he's doing. You and I have a heavenly perspective on our salvation and there's an earthen one. He says, now we are children of God. Right now, the star has gone. Your sin is gone. All of God's anger against your failure has been absorbed by Jesus Christ, and you've been adopted into his heavenly family. But we're down here on earth, and we're saying, but I still see the light. I still see that thing. I look up in the sky. It's there. I look in the mirror. I see my sin. I see my failure. And John is saying, look, I know what you see, but what you see doesn't change what actually is. Your failures down here on earth do not have the power to interrupt the heavenly reality that you are sealed in heaven. You're perfected in Christ. You're justified before God. You're made holy. You're pure. As on the day you were born, we're living in two realities. So if you're confused, you're a normal Christian. It made me feel so much better when this clicked in my head one day. Like, no wonder we're so lost sometimes. You know? It's like the Bible's very honest about this. It's like living in two different worlds when you're a Christian. There's a heavenly reality and there's an earthen reality. There's this sense in which we've got to understand Jesus really did pay it all. I am justified. I'm made holy. I'm pure in Christ. I do still see my sin. I do still see that part of me that's broken and unlike Christ. But you know what? Instead of letting it shake me and make me believe that God doesn't love me anymore, I'm going to say, you know what? This is already defeated. I'm going to do something about this. And rather than cowering in shame, we find the strength to actually take responsibility for our hearts, knowing that I'm still loved. I'm still favored by the father I don't have to wonder how he feels about me. I can actually confront my brokenness unafraid of being rejected by God. That's the now, not yet principle. There's a heavenly perspective and there's an earthen perspective. And what John's asking us to do is to hold them both together and say, look, don't separate them. You've got to live in both. You are, this is who you are in the heavenlies. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ. You can't get any more pure than you already are. You can't get any holier because only that which is holy can sit at the right hand of God. And that's where Jesus put you the day you got born again. But you've also got to deal with this earthen perspective. I still see the starlight. I still see my sin. I still see my weakness. Okay. So look, you're loved. You're accepted. Deal with it. Don't, Don't lie down in shame. Don't lie down in condemnation. Get up and move forward. And say, God, thank you that you defeated this thing. And you're going to teach me how to walk. You're going to instruct my heart and enable me to live a victorious life. And I no longer have to waste my day, waste another moment wondering, do you still love me? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. We have a heavenly perspective and we have an earthen perspective. And right here in these, this short little paragraph we just read, John is saying, put them together into one. Put them together into one. Let me bring up the, the second point for you here. In a way, again, I just want to repeat what we just said, but if, in case you're, you're taking notes, in a way, Christians live in two realities. We will wrestle with temptation and sin in this life. We will. We're going to have moments of victory, we're going to have moments of failure. Let me read to you just Galatians 5 16 and 17. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh, that's your your sinful nature, are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. There is a conflict going on inside of you as a believer The reason why you feel at war sometimes morally is because you have a heart that's bent on wickedness, but you've got the Holy Spirit of God saying, "Uh uh-uh, you belong to me now, and I'm going to protect you from that thing. I'm not going to let that rule you anymore. I'm going to teach you to walk in victory. I know you're going to stumble. I know you're going to fall, but that your failure doesn't have the final word with your life anymore. It's very simple. You will struggle. You will stumble at times. You will fail, but that doesn't mean you're not going to grow. That doesn't mean you're a lost cause. That doesn't mean it's time to just lay down and die and give up the fight. I have another sub point there if we could bring that up. We are, this is the other side of the reality. We will wrestle. We will struggle. But we are still forgiven, justified, and part of God's royal family. And the fact that I still stumble doesn't have the power to change that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, the father made the son to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ephesians 2.6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is who you are. There are times the apostles, it seems like they're contradicting themselves. They don't know what they're talking about. The same Apostle Paul who tells us in Galatians 5, you're going to have an ongoing struggle throughout your life with sin, so learn to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, is the same one who tells us in Ephesians 2, 6, you're already there. You're already seated in heavenly places. The victory's already won. It's just a matter of getting to the finish line now. Jesus has done it. He's strong enough to keep you. He's strong enough to preserve you and get you to the end of your race. We're living in two realities. We have to learn how to bring them together and view them as one. Our next point, your sin has no power over your new life in Christ. Your sin has no power over your new life in Christ. It cannot make you God's enemy anymore. This is critical. Listen to Second John, uh, sorry, 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. Since we're there, flip back to chapter 2 of First John really quickly. I'd like you to see this. 1 John chapter 2, just the first verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, this is really critical because he doesn't say, if anyone does sin, you're toast. Sorry. Sorry. You cross the line, do not pass, go, do not collect $200, go straight to jail, you know? If you catch that Monopoly reference there. Is, look, he says, no, God's response to your sin is no longer anger, it's advocacy. Think about that. He says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous advocate in Greek, it's basically the word for a lawyer. It almost gives the image of, of running to the side of a person in trouble so you can speak on their behalf. So when you sin as a Christian, when you fail, when you violate God's moral standard, God does not withdraw from you. He does not take his Holy spirit and say, that's it. I'm leaving until you get this straightened out. John is saying, no, when you sin, Jesus runs to you. And he stands beside you and he says, Father, I already paid the price for this. I already died so they could have victory over this. They're already pardoned. They're already forgiven. They're already made free. They can't be defined by this failure anymore. It's time to get up and move forward. God's response to your sin is no longer anger. It's advocacy. It's advocacy. He no longer responds in judgment. God is for you he's not against you. I had an interesting moment with the Lord over uh, the, the holiday. I was down uh, in Louisiana with my, my wife and my son. That's where we, we go to uh, you know, take vacation because we visit her family and nobody expects anything of me. It's awesome. <laughs> so I just get to be lazy. It's wonderful. But uh, I've made some good friends down there. One of them in particular invited me, you know, she could just come and minister at our our church on a Wednesday night. So I'm there for service and, you know, just milling around, greeting people and saying hello. And, you know, when my wife and I go anywhere together, you know, it's expected Nick's going to preach and either Christina's going to sing or Nick and Christina are going to sing together. Now, I don't sing without my wife. It's a policy that I have. I don't do it. So don't get any ideas because you. You went out on a limb there at the marriage conference. I'll never forget that. I forgive, but I don't forget. You know? Now, not yet, you know. Not yet fully like the sun. So, my wife's not here today, but, you know, so, but I really was not wanting to sing that night. You know, I had a message in my heart. I'm like, oh, I don't want to think about having to do a song. And it's just, it's not my ministry. You know, it's not my thing. My wife has this wonderful anointing. She's my favorite worship leader. And I don't need to be biased to say that she sings and the presence of God comes down. Um, And I just, I really wasn't up for it that night. I had just gotten over a cold. My throat was scratched. I was like, I need to save my voice. And, you know, I I had this funny thought when I I actually came out and said, yeah, I think it's just going to be my wife singing tonight. This horrible fear came over me that because I was withholding something, God wasn't going to anoint the message. You know? and, and very often, we, we as Christians go through stuff like that. If we're not squeaky clean, if we don't do everything just right, God's blessing is going to be withdrawn from us. And this, this fear came over me like, oh man, dude, should, I just, should I just suck it up and, and sing with her? You know, I really don't want to do it, but what if I'm not anointed? What if God's going to withdraw his presence? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me plain as day, right there in the sanctuary, right there. I almost like I had to contain myself because it just broke my, my heart and I, I needed to repent to him. He, he asked me, he said, why do you always think I'm against you? Like it was the clearest, one of the clearest he's ever spoken to me. And I, I really had to hold back some tears. I was like, I do think that about you. I still, after all these years of ministry and teaching and, and all this understanding that I, 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 show that I have, it's like, I still think that you're, you're against me sometimes. If I, if I miss a step, you're going to withdraw. Like you're, you're some hypersensitive person. Just, oh, you hurt my feelings, Nick. I'm not going to anoint you now. And thank God he's more secure than I am. <laughs> and a lot of times that's what it is. We're imposing our own insecurities on God thinking he's like us, but he's stronger than we are. And that moment changed me. He's not against me. He's not against you. Jesus is so for his church. He loves his church. You read the, read the letters that he wrote to them in, in, in chapters two and three of the book of Revelation. I mean, those chapters, if you read those and just get like, the church is all messed up and everything, you've completely missed the point. You've completely missed it. The worst church of the bunch is probably Laodicea. He has no compliment to pay them. Nothing good to say about them just warnings of judgment if they don't get their act together. But in the end of the letter, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I discipline be zealous therefore and repent. And we get all amped up, those lukewarm Christians, this and that. You know what? Jesus loves those lukewarm Christians. You better be careful. You don't talk about his bride in a way that he won't talk about her. He doesn't beat down his bride. And I don't ever want to become that kind of man because I've had plenty of times where I needed grace. I needed mercy. I felt like a failure and my heart just burns for failures. My heart burns. That's why I just, I'm passionate about this kind of subject because I know what that is to, to love God, to want to walk with him, but be so frustrated that you just can't get it. God loves you and he has all the patience in the world for you. And he's not against you. We're in a struggle We're in a struggle, but guess what? Your present struggle doesn't get to interrupt who you also presently are in the throne room of God. You belong in his presence. You belong at his feet because it's only in being near to him that you're going to find the power to change. And if we withdraw in shame every time we fail, we're not going to find the power to move forward. We're removing ourselves from the thing we need the most. You got struggles? You got failures? Yeah, so do I. You repent, you get back up, and you keep moving forward. And you realize after a while, wow, you never stopped loving me. And you fall in love with him that much more. Because you realize he's even better than you ever imagined. You had him all wrong. And he just becomes that much more wonderful, that much more lovely. And you just want to give yourself away that much more to who he is. You just, it's like you can't help it. It's a natural response. And that's where my heart is finding itself more and more. He's beautiful. He's wonderful, and I I just want to be given to him because that's what he deserves. That's what he's worthy of, you know? But the devil wants to throw shame. He wants to throw condemnation and guilt on us and say, he doesn't want anything you have because it's too dirty. He has already purified you. He delights in your worship. He delights in your obedience. He's not looking at you and and just saying, well, you know, you, you don't actually love me because I saw what you did. You're allowed to tell him that you love him. He's not going to call you fake. He's not going to call you a liar. I mean, if you're being fake, if you're playing games with God, look, what we're talking about today can't really help you. This isn't for people who love their sin. This is for people who hate their sin. You might be struggling and wrestling with it, but you hate it. You know what you really want out of life. You might be in a really deep pit and you're just praying, does anybody see me? God, do you see me? God sees you. And there's a way out. There's a way out. Thank God for that. I want to give you one more point before we wrap up for today. The hope of eternal life produces purity. The hope of eternal life produces purity. And I want to end on this, not just because John does, but because this is the part that really alleviates our our nervousness. You know, I've grown up all my life in churches that expect you to understand that, you know, salvation is something that you can forfeit. If you choose to defect from the faith and walk away from Jesus Christ, you, you can do that you know, but it's not often taught what that looks like. And when it's not taught, people end up forming their own opinions and their own ideas of how that happens. And I formed an opinion and an idea that led me to believe that every time I fail, I lose it. And I've just got to hope he'll take me back again. And I've lived in insecurity. I've lived in that kind of terror, you know, and I'm trying to get rid of that today and hopefully help some people be lifted out of that. And in the end of verse three, where John is closing and when we're closing, this is kind of the thing that helps us realize this is not just preaching licentiousness. We're not telling people, you know, you can live however you want. God will always take you back and there's no consequence for sin. That's not what John is driving at here at all. Look at verse three. He says, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If you are truly hoping for eternal life, If you really understand what it cost the son of God to forgive you of your sin, the last thing you're going to want to do is abuse his grace. If you hear messages like this, if you hear teaching like this and it makes you feel enabled, oh, see, yeah, I can do this. God, it's his job to forgive me. He's obligated to. I challenge you as Paul did the Corinthians, test yourself to see if you're in the faith because that's not the gospel that I preach or that I believe in that's not the gospel that saves people. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what's written in the New Testament. If we really understand the depth of God's love, when we really understand his mercy, it makes us driven to pursue holiness. And you're able to do it without the fear that, well, if I don't achieve holiness on a certain point or on a certain day, he's going to reject me. No, even when I fail, I'm still in his embrace. And that's what keeps me moving forward. I have all the time in the world for Christians who are falling forward, because they're still going forward. I don't care if they're falling. They're going forward. I don't care if they're still trying to figure out how to walk. They're falling forward. That's what matters. The hope of eternal life produces purity. Our gratitude for salvation should drive us to pursue holiness. The goal of salvation is to be like Jesus, both now and in eternity. He says in verse two, it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Beloved, there's coming a day when you are going to be completely delivered from your sinful nature. You will never be able to fear again you will never be able to doubt again. You will never be able to want the wrong thing again. You will not be able to feel temptation. All of those things will be gone. Satan will be burning for eternity in the lake of fire. Every tempting spirit will be with him. Everything will be gone. All that will remain is the goodness and the beauty of our God. And we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. That's our hope. And John is ending the thought by saying, look, if you really have that hope, if you really understand what's coming, it's not going to make you think, yeah, I'm going to use the love of God as my, my get out of jail free card, you know, just to live however I want. No, if you really are having a revelation of the love of God, it's going to put the fear of God and you're going to say, Lord, I want to live like Jesus in this life. God, I may not be able to be perfect in this life, but I want to get as close as I can because that's what you deserve And I thank you that when I stumble and I fall along the way, you're not going to reject me. Your hand is going to hold me and you're going to guide me all the way to that finish line because you're a good father and you don't reject your children. When they stumble, you pick them up. When they go prodigal and they come home, you embrace them and you welcome them back in again. We don't play games with the grace of God. We don't play games with the love of God. We don't use it as license to sin. We use it as license to live in victory. That's what grace is for. That's what God's love is for. That's what his forgiveness is about. And so we can talk fearlessly about the love of God. We can talk fearlessly about the grace of God without worrying or fearing that, oh, what, what if we what if we misuse that? Listen, if you misuse it, you misunderstand it. If you can misuse it, you don't get it. You don't. It should produce purity, it should produce a passion for holiness. And it's with that closing thought, I just want us to, to be challenged again. Who's sitting under condemnation? Who, who's just feeling like, you know, I, I, I'm beaten down by my sin and I, I need God to remind me. I need him to show me that, that I am seated in heavenly places. If you're a Christian in this place, you're born again you can stand up out of the failure that you're in. If if it happened this morning, if it happened last night, you can stand up. You can be zealous. You can say, Lord, I'm leaving that behind. I'm moving forward because you accept me. I don't need to prove to you how sorry I am. I don't need to prove that I can do it. I can't do it. So I'm coming to you because I want to love you. I want to live for you, God. And you can come without any shame. You can come without any guilt because Jesus already paid for it. If you're a backslider, If you're not where you should be with God right now, you have have broken fellowship with him because you're embracing things and living in things that you know you ought not to be. Look, it's time to come home. It's time to come back to God. And you're not going to come back to an angry taskmaster who's going to beat you down with everything you've been doing. He's going to say, son, daughter, I'm so glad you're back. I've missed you. Read Luke 15. You don't come home to a stick. You come home to a robe and shoes and a ring and a fattened calf. Come home. Don't stay out of the house. And anyone who might be among us, if you're not a Christian, maybe you've never really committed your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's been a church game. Maybe it's been a religious thing. I I don't know. There could be any number of of experiences in this room. I just want to cover as many of them as I, I possibly can. Look, today's the day. What you're hearing is real. You can be forgiven of everything you've done wrong, and you can have the power to live right. It's not a fairy tale. It's the truth, and it's as real as I live and breathe because I've experienced it. Thank God. Praise God for who he is. He's good, and he's awesome. He's wonderful, and he doesn't expect us to do this on our own. From now till eternity, we might be stumbling and falling, but he's got our hand. Amen. He's got us by the hand. And look, if you want to live for him, you will. It's that simple. If you want to, if you're afraid, if you're worried, have I gone too far? Look, then you haven't. Because the person who's gone too far doesn't care anymore. The person who's gone too far has darkened themselves into a place where they're morally backwards. Good is evil. Evil is good. You know? No one needs to live in fear of that. If you love the Lord and you want to live for God, he's going to give you the power to do that. I want to invite you to stand this afternoon. I've more or less given the invitation, but if no matter what state you're in, if you, if you want out of condemnation, if you want the spirit of condemnation broken over your life, you want to be given a a, a revelation of God's love. You want to walk securely and confidently and know that He's got your back. He's not going to reject you. Then look, it's a simple invitation. I want you to come down to the front. We're going to sing a few songs, and I want to come back and pray for you and believe God to set you free and put the devil's head under your feet because He has no right to tell you who you are. He has no right to get you so fixed on your your earthly perspective, your earthly struggles that you can't believe the heavenly perspective. That's what He wants to do, and we're out to defeat that mission today. So if that's you and you need God to touch your heart, just come and pray and ask the Lord. Just sing to him, and we're going to come back and pray and believe God for mighty victory. There's no sin. There's no sin, no failure that he hasn't already paid for. There's no case the devil can build against the Christian that will make God change his mind about you. Nothing. He's got nothing on you because Jesus absorbed all the wrath that God had against your sin. So just come, and let's believe the Lord this afternoon. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for the power to get back up, God for my brothers and my sisters who have come down to this altar. God, I thank you, Lord, that there's nothing stronger than your love for them. Lord, the condemnation that they feel pressing on them, ready to crush them, God, isn't stronger than your love. And Lord, I'm praying that you would fix their eyes on heaven again, Lord, to see one more time, even in your word, that they have an identity in Christ that their present failures can't touch and can't change and can't alter. God, I'm praying that you would rebuke the condemner. I'm praying that you would rebuke the accuser. Lord, the book of Revelation says that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. So Lord, I thank you that every case Satan had built against us, you've already thrown it out of your court. Every case that our own hearts build against ourselves, you will not hear it. Because the only case that you'll ever hear about us is the one that Jesus has built for us, oh God. And that case says innocent, not guilty, because all the penalty that was deserved was poured out on the Son of God on that cross. All of the righteous anger, all of the righteous wrath that God had against our sin was poured out on Jesus. And all those who put their faith in him and receive that sacrifice are free God, thank you that we're a free people today. And Lord, we no longer have to fear what you think of us. We no longer have to fear what you would say to us, Lord, if we were to pass away, oh God. Lord, if we were to die, Lord, we know your word says to be absent from this body is to be present from the Lord. We know what happens to us as Christians. We die, we go straight to glory. Lord, thank you that even when we're going to die in our brokenness, Lord, we're going to die, oh God. We're going to pass out of this life still with things unfinished, not perfected, still undone. And yet you're still going to receive us, Lord. God, thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that this understanding of your love would produce a passion for purity in us, O oh God. A passion for holiness, Lord. That we will not play games with the love of God. That we will not play games with your grace, O oh Lord. Jesus, I pray that you would teach us, oh God, to walk, Lord, knowing that even if I stumble, if I fall, I'm not going to stay down in my shame. I'm going to get back up again because Jesus is worthy. Jesus is deserving of that life. God, thank you that you're going to give us everything we need. You've given it to us, Lord. Your word says, 2 Peter chapter 1, that in Christ we have all things that pertain to life and godliness everything necessary to live a godly life is ours already in Jesus. So Lord, teach us how to walk in that. Teach us how to walk in that, oh God. I thank you for this in your precious name, Lord. Amen and amen. Praise be to God.